I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You're on Team Human, where we challenge the operating systems driving our society reveal the embedded codes, and share strategies for sustainable living, economic justice, and preservation of the quirky nooks and crannies that make people so much more than mere programs. This is where the conscious beats the automatic, an intervention by people on behalf of people. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and I'm on Team Human. Today we're looking at media literacy, what it means to be capable in a digital age. Our guest is DC Vito, founder of The Lamp. What it took me a while to learn is they had never seen a commercial on a film strip. They'd never seen media stretch out like that. And for them to see it like that, that was transformational. It's time to intervene on behalf of people. This is Team Human. Media literacy sounds really dry. I get that. And even elitist in some ways. And I finally understood what people have been saying to me all these years when I read an article by a great computer educator named Adit Harrell. And she made the argument that these new coding platforms, like my friend has one called Ready, getready.io, that these new coding platforms are essentially too easy, that they're not real coding, that they're pop coding, and that because they let kids just drag and drop elements into a field and give them properties and decide if they have gravity or if they bounce or if they're alive or if they can shoot, and and because they're uh, uh, drag and drop, because they're uh, object-oriented, you don't really have to learn code in order to use them. So you can make a game, you can make a program without understanding the underlying code architecture, without knowing a word or a line of Java or Python. And 
She and people of her ilk, computer science educators, are really upset about this because you know, their whole lives have been about getting people to learn Java and COBOL and the original real computing languages, helping bring people over the threshold into the digital world. And these platforms instead bring the computing world over to where people are. Now, I understand this argument. I understand this divide. When, you know, the Macintosh came out, a lot of us were actually upset by how easy it was because even though the interface was easy, you could drag things, you could drop them, put them in the trash. There was no auto-exec bat file on a, on a Mac. At the same time, it felt like we were getting more and more distant from the code inside the machine, that as the machines get easier, users have less and less control over what they're doing. Um, so I get that argument. And they see pop computing as a bunch of designers making decisions for kids and everybody else on what parameters will be open to them. I see that. But on the other hand, most programs out there these days, most ideas that people have are not completely original new lines of code. They're rather modular. You even look at something like Uber. I mean, is it the code that makes Uber? What's Uber? You know, Uber is essentially a, a GPS program tied to a cash register program tied to a dating program. So if I had those and I could put them together the same way that, say, GarageBand lets me put things together on uh, sounds together on my computer or my iPad, um, I get something pretty close to a program. I actually get a workable viable program. Certainly for a game or to understand how these worlds work, it really should be fine. So I think what we need to do is begin to change our uh, way we understand what literacy is. You know, there's this elitist notion that, oh, we have to make, you know, help the peasants to understand these languages so they can be among the elite priesthood coming out of Stanford who understand these arcane languages. You know, that's, it's akin to saying that everybody has to know how to read Torah Hebrew in order to be um, a Jew, say, you know, or, uh, or know exactly the origins of the letters of the English language to know that A came from a bull and B came from a house, or that M is the water, um, to know those things in order to know how to read and write. You don't have to know what's at the level beneath you all the time. People who are coding in C++ and Python, I guarantee you, they don't know machine language. They take their code and put it in a compiler, and the compiler turns it into something that the machine knows. Who knows what the machine knows? Well, there's people at Intel, you know, who make chips. They know what the machine knows. So even the priesthoods each have to trust the priesthood beneath them that they're giving them all of the options, giving them all of the opportunities of what the chip can do, of what the operating system can do, of what the program can do. So for me, media literacy is really is understanding the level on which you are working. It's used to be being able to read the paper and understand the bias of that paper, to read an article and see how are they stacking up the facts and how might they have stacked up the facts differently. It's being able to watch television and see who's actually paying for this show. What's the communication technique being used by this commercial? Why do I feel nervous as this announcer is talking? What technique are they using on me and what do they want from me? 
it does change in a digital age, though. It changes from being able to read the media to being able to write the media. You know, we now live in an interactive age. So media literacy isn't just what you receive, it's what you make and how you make it. What you understand is is possible with these technologies. What is possible? How can I interact with this thing? How can I author something? What is possible? Is the thing that I want to do not possible because the technology really doesn't do it or because the designer of this interface doesn't want me to do it? And that's where it gets interesting. And once we can design, once we are capable, even if we don't know the core code languages, once we can design our own interfaces, design our own platforms, then we can bring in questions that maybe many coders aren't thinking to bring in. Then we can bring into Uber, well, I understand what the experience is for the passenger, but what's the experience of Uber for the driver? Does Uber let the driver forge solidarity with other drivers? Where's the chat function? What about Amazon Turk, where all these people are working for pennies an hour? What are the, what are, <laughs> how, what is the experience for the worker? What is the, uh, what are the implications of Airbnb and its platform and the way it's programmed for the towns in which Airbnb is operating? And why isn't it open to towns and local legislation and regulation? So once we're involved in coding, even if we are not the coders, once we're involved in authorship of these programs and the kind of authorship that true digital literacy allows, then we are no longer depending just on the coders for what's possible. Well, the coders and the people paying them. Then we can participate more actively in the digital world that we're building and hopefully create something that promotes the interests of Team Human rather than continuing to forget them. Team Human, coming to you alive from the Basement Media Squad, home to the Laboratory for Digital Humanism at CUNY Queens College. Our guest today is DC Vito of The Land. For most of our audience, it it seems insane that one would have to make an argument for media literacy, particularly the 21st century. Correct. Um, what is the what is the the easiest way you found right now to convince people that media literacy is not just some weird nice PBS thing, but a, an essential skill for for living? That is a really good question. The way that I've found is not to even use the word media literacy. We say three C's, comprehend all forms of media, create all forms of media, challenge all forms of media. And when you say challenge at the end, it's exciting because of the young people we're trying to address and help because they don't feel like they can challenge much of anything in their lives. So when you demonstrate how media are this monolith, this authority, and you're able to push back on that authority, they get it that way. 
but they're still not fully understanding media literacy. Well, they almost don't have to understand what media literacy is. Right. If they become more empowered viewers of television, readers of newspapers, makers of apps or whatever. Right. So what's the, the, the methodology, for those who don't know, what's, what's the, the LAMP methodology? What do you do? We started out in 2007 working in communities. The idea was we wanted to make media literate communities. And so we would go to underserved communities where we would bring them the technology where they didn't have access to it. So we'd give them the laptops, we'd give them the microphones, the video cameras to make the media teach them how the stuff was made, then that would allow them to be more deconstructive of the stuff that they encounter. And as time has gone on, we continue to grow the number of workshops, but we're not having to bring as much technology because technology's gotten smaller or it's become more prevalent. So we're still doing the pop-up media literacy experience labs, but we're also working in schools in wrapped into the curriculum, which is really interesting. So we're wrapping ourselves in social studies in earth sciences in like we did a geology course with a, a fifth grade teacher, but it was totally media literacy, which was really exciting. What we also found is that when we were done with the workshop, we had to take the equipment with us and the work in those communities that didn't have access to the, to the equipment, the work would stop. And that's what kicked us in the direction of creating media breaker. It's interesting. So, but from the the first level of the work is basically like uh, a kid without this training looks at the evening news, sees a news story. Oh, you know, three black kids arrested for blah blah blah, and they go, okay, that's the news story. And then, what you would do is basically go into the school with the raw footage of that news report and say, okay you cut your own version of that news story. Yep. And then when they look at the raw footage and they realize they have the power of the story, they can tell any story we want. Right. And then that changes the way, hopefully, changes the way they see the news, they see the news. forevermore. Exactly. Yeah, and, and that's not just a transformation we've seen with young people, but also with the teachers that we're working with, too. So we're having teachers who are saying, I never thought of things this way. This is, this is changing the way I think about even teaching. Because... They, for the most part, it's, 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 a, it's somewhat of a dog whistle. It's just they don't even think to, to, to listen for it because media are everywhere. So we just think, oh, well, if they're everywhere, then everything they're showing is truthful. Right. I mean, just it's a really interesting approach because, I mean, I know in the past, uh, you know, literacy and media literacy always had to do with how are you reading the media? You know, they even called it that, reading the media, reading television, as if you're going to somehow just interpret this thing almost like in a humanities class. Okay, now you deconstruct this bias and deconstruct that bias. Whereas if you put the tools of media creation in their hands, even, I'm not talking about for the rest of their lives, it's not like they have to become newsmakers or something, but you do it once, their whole experience of it, it's like having gone backstage. Once you see behind the curtain mm -hmm. and see The Wizard of Oz and see yep. how it's made, yep. you're forever, ever changed. Yep. I can, I, we did very, one of the first workshops we did was make slash break commercial and make, they learn how to make a commercial and they learn how, they learn the persuasive techniques, the editing, the sound, how commercials rely solely on emotion and not truth. And then they make their own commercial. They storyboard, they shoot, they edit. The break was taking an existing commercial and remixing it with all the things they learned on the make side and injecting truth into it. We would try and do these in sort of these 
um, like Maker Fair, we were invited to do that and we would bring laptops with commercials and I'd get so frustrated because these kids would come up and like, I want to play with this. And because they're so used to making a robot over there and making a crane over there and they get to the station and they would just put sound effects on it. But what, what was really pissing me off is like they weren't critical. But right. what, what, what it took me a while to learn is they had never seen a commercial on a film strip like that before. They'd never seen it They'd never seen media stretch out like that. And for them to see it like that, that was transformational. Like, I can mess with this, which made them think, wow, okay, so someone's behind it. And it was that lesson which took me a while to accept that, that is, that's a huge, huge right. thing to impart. It's, it's seeing a formerly read-only medium yeah. as a read-write medium. Yep. And once you say, oh my gosh, it is a rewrite medium, well, then everything changes. I mean, for me, it made me go out into the street and start seeing other things as read-writes. Right. Like money is a read-write medium. It's right. just locked down. If right. you write it, they're going to arrest you. Transportation, yeah. Right. Yeah. Or, and all of our little civic yeah. uh, civic institutions <laughs> yeah. that seem so set in stone or yeah. become pre-existing conditions are actually creations of human beings at some point in history with yep. some agenda yep. that we may have forgotten. Yep. And working in the communities that we are focusing on, underserved communities, we're talking about young people who don't feel like their path is theirs. It's already been set for them. So when we give them the notion of not only is this how media are made, but media are made. Did you know that? That media are constructions. They're like, what? And it changes the way they go outside and look at the buildings. Oh my God, someone built that building. That building was not just there, and it alters the way they think about their environment, and it's not just static. They have the opportunity to think, I might be able to make a change on something that I don't necessarily care for. Right. Do you find in kids, does it lead to a paranoid, conspiratorial thing, or does it... I don't. I, what we find is that it, it awakens uh, an anger that previously they didn't realize was there because they just didn't know that they could actually question these things. Like everybody has watched a commercial and felt that gross feeling in their stomach that's preying on your insecurity, but they never thought, if I could question it, once you allow them to question it, the anger comes out. And it's really, really interesting to see. Right. I mean, and they, they might have done, maybe in school they looked at a Lenny Richtenstahl movie or something, <laughs> you know, and they go, oh, look how they're showing the swastikas. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Or even a Trump campaign. Oh, look at the American flags behind him yeah. as trying to associate him with mm -hmm. this or mm -hmm. the, you know, seven techniques of paranoia. Mm -hmm. But you still, or, or of propaganda. Right. Um, you, you, you learn them, but it still feels like, oh, that's what the Nazis did, or yep. that's what they're doing. Right. You don't see it as something that's embedded in the environment in right. which we live. Right. Which is now a media environment anyway. Yep. What, one, one early example we would do with just young women is we would show them the Dove Real Beauty campaign. And we just ha have them watch it and not say anything, not set anything up. And afterward, ask them what they thought. And they'd say, oh, this is great. Dove is doing really great things for women and so positive. Like, okay, that's interesting. It's not exactly what's happening, but, and then we would show them an Axe commercial and they would say, oh, that's horrible. Look at the way they're treating women. And then we said, did you know that the same company who's making Dove makes the Axe commercials? And that's when they felt betrayed. That's when they felt mad, livid, that that's what was happening, that this environment of media everywhere, how could they be lying to us? The what? same ad agency or the same sub company? Unilever. Oh. Uh. Yeah. 
And that's what that was. It's, that's a simple exercise. It's, These are just it's just like two different movies. It's yeah. like you got Game of Thrones and you got girls on the same channel. Exactly. Oh, one's empowering and one's raping. Yeah, you know, it's like well, yeah, but it's the same freaking company. So exactly. what's your problem? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh! I know, Dove. They got all these awards. Oh, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Horrifying. That that I don't don't get me started. I hate that campaign. What do you hate about it? That it's lying. That it's that it's not lying. We get to be round and beautiful. No, it's telling women that their insecurities are their fault, and saying except you, and saying media had no role in this whatsoever. Removing Dove from the equation of what they did to screw with so many women's minds. Meanwhile, selling you products for things you don't need. They have this thing called a pedicure. P-I-T-I-C-U-R-E. What is that? They think that women need to be spending as much time on their armpits as they are their cuticles. So special creams, exfoliations on their freaking armpits. Oh, to get rid of the hairs. Or the impurities or the pores because your pores are too big in your pits. This is the same company that ran the same campaign at the same time that they're right. doing this real beauty shit. I can't stand the real beauty campaign. Yeah. Well, you probably can't stand any campaign, though. <sighs> so what about advertising for good? I always get upset about that. These ad council things. And it's like, oh, here's a good cause. Right. Like, I mean, yeah, stop beating your wife. You know, right. that's a good cause. Right. But the techniques they use to try to tell people to stop beating their wives are the same ones that they're yep. using to get them to buy, you know, Valvoline. Well, and where's ad council getting its money? From the advertising agencies. This is their way of feeling good about themselves. Doing penance yeah. to undo some of the damage exactly. they've created with the machismo and the hate yeah. campaigns. Exactly. Now, you would think in an interactive age, you would think that this all somehow takes care of itself. Because if now you're allowed to post on Twitter or write an update on Facebook, then aren't we already breaking the media? Aren't we writing back? Isn't, doesn't the digital landscape just take care of all this by itself? Right. No, it doesn't. A, it's still controlled. These are not free applications. We're paying for it in ways that we don't, we're not always aware of. Certainly none of our young people are aware of why Twitter or Snapchat, that why they're free. I mean, they're not using Twitter, but you know what I mean. And I don't see it as, I don't, I don't see the breaking. I'm not seeing it. I used to get in this long argument a lot of times with Howard Rheingold, mm-hmm. one of the first great uh, interactive media theorists. And he would argue that interactive media is intrinsically better because instead of just sitting and watching, kids are actually doing. Kids are making it. At least they're participating. And what I argued was that that makes digital media in some ways intrinsically worse. Because now, under the pretense, not just of sitting... You know when you're sitting watching a movie or sitting and watching TV, you know on some level you're not in charge. You're being programmed. You're passive. You're drooling. You're delta wave. When you're typing on the screen, then now you believe that this is your content. Mm -hmm. You believe when you're making your Facebook profile that that was some act of creativity rather than pre-selecting a predetermined group of attributes through which you're going to define yourself for the rest of your life. So for me, in some ways, interactive persuasion is is more debilitating than good old-fashioned TV was. Well, and not only that, but no one's teaching young people how to do that. So we've left that lesson up to the companies that are providing these applications. No one in sixth grade is taking 
their class and saying, this is how you should make your Facebook profile, and this is what you should know about Facebook and what what's happening. Facebook's teaching young people that, and they're shaping their habits as a result of it. Snapchat, it's I can understand Snapchat in 30 seconds. And they're automatically shaping all the behavior. No one with any focus on youth development or pedagogy is teaching young people how to use these things. Well, it's because we're pretending that no one under 14 uses them because that's in the user agreement. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Meanwhile, my 11-year-old daughter wants to know why everyone has a Facebook page except her. <laughs> oh, that's bad. I mean, who's agreed? Who's agreed to right. this? I guess their parents say it's okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's just surrender the children to the corporate gods. But even the even those above 14 are not being, no one's talking to them about it in school or the folks that really care about the way these young people are growing up. I mean, they should be past the age of reason. But yes, the thing is, if, even if you have reason, if you don't have basic decoding skills, you're kind of meat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Partitioned, labeled. Exactly. I mean, the, the, the place I keep coming back to then is how do we uh, how do we restore agency on autonomy? You know, this is Team Human we're talking about. Right. And Team Human is in a, a battle right now with Team Machine. Because you know, it's essentially the, what, what you're talking about are the techniques and extensions of neoliberalism or corporate capitalism trying to manipulate human beings into supporting it. Mm-hmm. You know, but now their their tools are so powerful and human beings are so vulnerable. We're no longer watching TV. We're living in the TV. We're inside that environment. So I feel I feel as if uh, human autonomy and agency are actually under threat. And at this point, I mean, so great. So you reach a few thousand uh, uh, inner city kids and get them angry. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like you've got a, a toehold into this that that? that humanity kind of has a chance against against these forces? Well, I'm seeing I'm seeing some development uh and some momentum behind Media Breaker, which is now a nationwide tool with very little promotion. And people let's promote it. People can go to mediabreaker.org. They can actually go to our, our, our website, thelamp.org, and it's under all the drop drop menus, Media Breaker is where you'll access it you can go to media play with it right now mediabreaker.org you can go and use the light version and then media breaker studios you sign up for accounts you can save and submit it's all free and what we're seeing is that i'm starting to see social studies like the national council for social studies really loves this so now we're seeing the idea of okay we need to have our students thinking about all this nine and a half hours of entertainment media that they're consuming every day. Let's not just plug our ears and close our eyes to it. Let's see if we can use it and then use it to get, to get them excited about climate change and use it to get them get excited about George Washington and just topics that otherwise they may not be mm-hmm. so excited about. So I'm surprised by the momentum that it's getting. Um, I, it certainly, we weren't, planning on this well it's really it's a two-pronged approach i mean and and it's it's great for me i'm spending most of my time now trying to find answers to the emails i'm getting so to all the teachers that are emailing me since program review programmed and beyond asking how do i do media literacy in my classroom i've only got three days i can set aside for this what do i do mm-hmm. 
go to mediabreaker.org yeah. and let them play. Right. Go to thelamp.org right. right. and look at the resources there. Right. Uh, many of links I will steal. And these are um, almost more important than, than curricula, which you don't have the time and money and everything to do. These are in-class exercises, technologies, and activities that are transformational. It's like this is, this is the equivalent of taking your whole class on an acid trip about the media and they will see it forever differently and and you it, it's not hard work for you as no. someone who wants to wake them up no. um so to to start you know uh, uh go there but the the two prongs of the media breaker is you know first there's the hands-on tool yep you know like a a, a very super easy final cut with Chiron that you can put on top and change what an ad means and expose like you did the uh, the great veteran homecoming yep, yep. Uh, Budweiser. Budweiser commercial yep, yep. and to really expose what this is and how it broke the Army's rules and yep. all that. But the second aspect to this program is the huge legal nightmare. So if someone wants to post a recut advertisement and not be sued... You're protected by this website. This right. website accepts legal responsibility. Yes, we've gotten 19 copyright infringement claims. BMG came an inch away from suing us for a break of a Bruno Mars video. Uptown Funk became Uptown Catcall. And they were insisting that we take it down. And we showed them the legal middle finger saying, no, this is fair use. We're but not you have lawyers. That's the problem. Teachers and students around the country don't. And we're trying to remove that fear because it is a, it's a huge boogeyman. They are out there to scare the crap out of people from doing this. And if BMG wanted to, they could have sued us. They could easily have sued. We have lawyers who would have defended us. A teacher doesn't. Everything that we did was 100% fair use. Everything was 100% fair use. Right. But if they can, I mean, the average public school teacher can easily be intimidated away from helping her kids see uh, the reality behind anything that right. happens to be copywritten. It's right. like, well, let's just stay away from that yes. and talk about the founding right. fathers. That's safe. Yes. Nine and a half hours of something that these young people are consuming every day is copyrighted material. And if we're not, gonna, if we're not able to address that, we're, we're, we're falling way behind. Right. If they're, un, they're untouchable. Well, it's copywritten, so <laughs> we can't discuss it. Right. And what that happens is then the only thing that ends up in fair use is government and civics right. and the things in the in the first section of the New York Times right. that end up being attacked and attacked and attacked while all the brands are unassailable. Right. And what that leads to is, is, is a neoliberal society, is one where we feel free to critique government. Mm -hmm. Oh, Congress sucks. The Senate sucks. Yep. But we're afraid to critique Dove. Petrified. And also you get people, what I love seeing is you get people defending Dove. Dove has co-opted you, and now you're a soldier for Dove. Like, no, Dove does some really good things. Well, Unilever does some good things. Do they? They do. They're they're trying to adopt a uh, an anti-growth corporate credo. I mean, this pro I don't know. I don't know if they're doing it because they see, like I do, that the growth-based corporation is going to destroy the planet, or if they're looking for a clever way to communicate to their shareholders that right. they can't grow anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so all of our projections, just be prepared. Yeah. Oh, look, there's Rushkoff saying he's making it sound like it's a good thing not to grow. Right. Let's yeah. uh, try some of that. Yeah. Uh, who knows? Who knows? But, I mean, most of the people in these corporations don't actually understand what they're doing is evil. I no. Mean, it's, it's, I agree. I agree. You know, so I, I hate to paint those humans with... Uh, uh, 
you know, the but same then, brush. But then I did get that email from a woman in, in London who runs an ad agency trying to ask her to talk because we don't want to work in a vacuum. We actually want to work with ad advertising. Uh-huh. We want to actually affect what they're doing rather than just working in this vacuum of young people over here. And I try and reach out to advertising people all the time. And she said, love what you do. I think it's great. Advertising is paid for my pool. Advertising is paid for my private school. My son goes to a private school. What do you want me to do? I'm in the business. She wrote this as an email. I'm in the business of preying on women's insecurities. But it is just a cream. She said that. Just a cream. Right. Well, she's in the business of preying on women's insecurities, which is something she doesn't want to do because she believes she needs to make enough money to insulate her family from the real world with private school and private neighborhoods and private swimming pools uh, rather than taking the minimal effort it would be to make the world a place where she didn't feel the need to insulate her children from it. Right. She needs a spiritual counselor. She, I, know. I know that she wants it. I know that she feels a hole in herself. Yeah. I also feel like that it's in this consumer culture we're replacing that hole that gets carved out by living in this world with material things and i think that the system that you're talking about the growth is trying to prey on that and and take advantage of that desire well if we get disenfranchised enough then uh, all the commercials in the world won't work because we can't buy that stuff anyway right you know, it's the really, it's the long way around to the, to the solution of uh, restoring humanity uh, to humans. We think that what's really exciting is what, what we've seen in classrooms transformed where a teacher in September is sitting in the corner with his arms crossed saying, I don't need to be doing media in my classroom. Four months later, after having using Media Breaker, He's excited. He's pumped. He's, this is, I got, I'm, he's foaming at the mouth to show me what he's done. And that transformation can happen a million times across this country. And that's exciting. What, what would happen then? What if we actually had a million teachers doing this? What would, what would, what would be the result? I don't know, but it is exciting. Yeah. And it brings a whole new, uh, whole new meaning to what it means to learn how to program. You know, they don't call the stuff on television programming for nothing. Right. You know, you're not programming a schedule. You're programming the viewer. Right. You know, and here, just, you know, without learning Java and Python, just learning to arrange the images. Yep. Yep. Is cultural programming. Yep. Yes. Nail, hammer, head. Yes. I couldn't say it quite that eloquently, but yes. That's what I'm here for, <laughs> to articulate your greatness. Well, thank you, DC Vito and The Lamp for, for being on Team Human yeah. and fighting the good fight. Is there, is there like a handshake, a t-shirt, a tattoo? There's just face-to-face contact. Okay. I can... You kiss me. I, we will. Later. Okay. <laughs> All right. You be good. Thank you, sir. Thanks for joining Team Human. We'll be back in the Basement Media Squad here at the Laboratory for Digital Humanism again next week with new strategies for human intervention in the machine. This show was produced and edited by Stephen Bartolome. Thanks to all our listeners who have been emailing, sharing suggestions, and supporting Team Human in the Laboratory for Digital Humanism. Thanks to our friends at Zago for helping get us started. And thanks to Meetup for bringing people together in the real world. Learn more about Meetup at meetup.com. 
Again, thanks to Fugazi for kindly sharing the song we play in the intro and outro. And thanks to Mike Watt for the music you heard in the middle of today's show. My name is Stephen Bartolome, and I'm on Team Human. And I'm Douglas Rushkoff. Come visit us at teamhuman.fm, where you'll find more information about our supporters and guests, the work they're doing, resources to get involved, and ways to find the others. Team Human, our last best hope for peeps. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.